Hello, it's well the massage therapist out there. Welcome to season two, episode two of the USO LMT bi-weekly podcast. My name is Stephanie, and I'm the founder of USO LMT, where we teach massage therapists to be the change that they want to see in our industry. The United States Organization of Licensed Massage Therapists is a new association for LMTs who want to work together to create positive changes in our workplaces and our industry. We are founded on the principles of unity, advocacy, education, and engagement. Membership is open to massage therapy students, licensed massage therapists based in the United States, massage educators, LMT-owned multi-therapist practices, and massage co-ops. We believe in the need to engage in a more collective and radical form of activism in our profession. We can only decide what the future looks like when we work together. You can become a founding member of USOLMT today for a monthly subscription price of $10 a month. Membership benefits include monthly Zoom meetings, quarterly newsletters, professional development education, a digital welcome package, and free checklists for starting and maintaining your massage practice. We also have leadership training and opportunities, direct support when you need it, the opportunity to be a guest on our podcast, opportunities to engage by bringing your ideas and solutions forward to improve massage therapy, our private Facebook community, And next month, our goal is to set up our private social network exclusively for our members. Instead of grouping up by state or location, you will be able to group up by interest or issue and work with others to overcome common challenges in massage therapy. Our message at USO LMT is solidarity in massage therapy. We are one for all and all for one. Join today and find out how change and improvement in the massage industry is possible through strength in numbers. Visit us at www.usolmt.com to join. Now let's get into today's topic. Hello, hello. Hello. Hi, so today I have a special guest on the podcast. Her name is Dr. Jacqueline Tibbet, known on social media as Dr. Bodywork. She's a licensed massage therapist from Miami, Florida. So hi, Jacqueline. Welcome to the show. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to have a nice long chat with you. Good. Well, I'm really happy to have you here today. So I wanted to chat a little bit about how we met. We've known each other for probably almost a year now, right? Yeah, I believe we met on uh, on Facebook on a massage therapist forum, and we were both kind of uh, in the mode of using the shutdown as like you know, starting on something to kind of propel the field. So while a lot of people were kind of winding down, we were like, went into high gear. Yep. It did seem like that, didn't it? Um, Yeah. It's been great to keep in touch with you. You have been such a great motivator for me and a great coach for me throughout the whole process of starting USO LMT. So, I mean, thank you for that. Um, yeah, you've been an amazing person to get to know. I appreciate that. And I'm always so impressed to just watch your speed. Like, I gotta say, I started out pretty fast and I, I mellowed out and I, I just love seeing you go and go and go. I mean, I think that indicates that it's coming from real authenticity and desire and it has such good, you have such good aims and such good passion. So I love watching you work. Thank you. Thank you. 
Um, yeah, this is definitely some kind of internal motivation. So it's been actually great to have that and to feel that. And it's been um, keeping me really focused throughout the whole pandemic. So I'm glad to be doing it. <laughs> All right, so I wanted to kind of talk to you about um, how you got into the field of massage therapy, how long you've been practicing, and then what led you onward to pursue your PhD in physiology and biophysics? Well, I wanted to start with the last part of that first, because actually PhD was always the plan. So I have a PhD in physiology and biophysics from Miami, my University of Miami, uh, when I graduated 2017. It's always been in the works for me to be assigned a scientist. I've been, I've been in science and interested specifically in neuroscience, neurophysiology, and the mind since I was young. So when I was seven, my dad had a stroke. He was this like genius computer engineer, and he had a severe stroke when I was seven, and it left him physically and mentally disabled. So from a young age, I witnessed like, the plasticity of the nervous system at every level, like cognition, walking, other types of movement. And I think that definitely influenced me towards caring about neuroscience, thinking about it. And at the same time, um, I also saw that of all the health practitioners that my dad went to, because I went to visits with them, I was seven, like I, I was, I saw all different types of medicine. You know, no one else brought vitality back to my dad, like his physical therapists. And he didn't get massage therapy per se, but I saw a lot of physical therapy. And I always loved PTs because there was just something about that vitality and also the shared goals and like literally reaching together to meet those goals. Um, there was just something about it that, that called me then. Um, and I think that influenced me later on in life. You know, I think that sat with me. So you know, after high school, my mom was like, you should go be a singer. Because <laughs> I did okay. live singing. And I was like, hell no, I want a practical, stable job. <laughs> I'm going to be a scientist. I, I, I love neuroscience. So I did that. I got an undergrad degree that was neuroscience oriented. And applying to PhD programs after that, there was like, I had a break, you know, about a year break. And there was some serendipity. I can't even articulate it's just like, bam, I was in massage school, like totally unplanned. Uh, I knew I loved massages, but who didn't? It was just the right thing at the right time. And one of the best commitments I've ever made, totally transformative because I was very much a skeptical scientist type of person. And I, I, I literally don't even know how I got there, um, but it was, it was a right series of events. So during massage school, that was 2012, um, I was interviewing for neuroscience PhD programs. I still had that plan in mind. And I realized like visiting these schools, like, oh my gosh, I could do neuroscience with people. Because before then I had been cutting open rat brains and um, working with cells. And here I was like, oh my gosh, I could do neuroscience like with people's bodies. So I found a program that in Miami that was under a physical therapist who was a neuroscientist researcher. And she worked with people with motor issues after neurological injury, which mm -hmm. is fitting for, you know, massage therapy and neuroscience loves. And so my dissertation 
at UM, it was ultimately investigating something that massage therapists understand and relate to, but other like research communities have been pretty siloed, which is that there's relationships between chronic pain and motor dysfunction. Uh, and so I think massage therapists get that on a fundamental level. Uh, however, the research is kind of siloed. So my dissertation was bringing chronic pain and muscle spasms after neurological injury uh, together and like what the similarities are both on psychological levels and then on physiological spinal cord levels. And then yeah, after, amazing. so interesting. Yeah. And then after that, I decided to leave academia pretty much in the sense that um, I still wanted to combine these loves. The whole plan was to combine these loves that I really wanted to keep practicing my hands-on skills. So that's, that's kind of where I am now. I still have a private practice and just, there's nothing like being in the present moment doing massage therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, your background, it just blows me away. And I'm so impressed by the things that I see, you know, coming from you. So, um, so I, I know that we had talked before kind of about our profession and, you know, making more money, increasing pay through kind of a, a system that would increase pay through an advanced degree program. Um, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. I mean, I know we don't really have answers to this or how exactly we could do that, but mm. what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think, first of all, like, it's it's good to acknowledge that it's not going to be like a single answer. I think it's multifold. And one of the possibilities is having advanced licensure. So really, the idea of elevating massage therapy as a healthcare practice and highlighting advanced and skilled massage therapists is one of the primary reasons that I started um, to develop this re platform that I recently started called Heal Match. And before I talk about that, like, I do want to address this idea of how having a single license in our field and a single title to our field can limit the perceptions of massage therapists and can negatively affect us as, our, as therapists, including our pay. And, you know, the one way I see it is that we have like one title to rule them all, which is massage therapist. And that has pros and cons. And the main con, um, is that people like clients and other healthcare practitioners, they have a perception about massage therapy and it's way more narrow than what massage therapists can offer. Mm -hmm. And I, this feeds into the license, but some states have licenses, some don't. But I still think the, the title of massage therapist um, offers like just in, for people who haven't had a lot of experience with it, um, a limited view. And, you know, I was a massage therapist and I developed chronic hand pain from doing massage therapy. And I found like after six years, uh, an experienced rolfer. And I hadn't even heard of that term in massage school or for years later. And so like even me as a practitioner didn't know all of these styles that exist. I still don't. <laughs> and um, I, when I started incorporating, learning this uh, structural integration, incorporating fundamentals of that work into my practice, my clients were like, yes, I've never felt that before. And I wanted to continue that. But the investment 
didn't make economic sense to me. Like training was about 20K in tuition and lost revenue from not being able to practice and, um, you know, and travel. And I talked to other graduates of, and these are amazing therapists, amazing therapists who, have, who can really transform people and have long lasting results. And they weren't making any more income than other therapists I knew. So I saw that as a problem. <laughs> yeah, I and, see it as a problem. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of people do. And I think a lot of people, a lot of massage therapists especially don't um, like the feeling of being kind of boxed in uh, to that a perception. You know, we know what we're capable of. We know we have all these different tangents. But and I, don't, I think that people uh in general, don't like that feeling of um, people not really understanding the the, the varieties and the, uh, the fact that there's these hidden kind of hidden gems. Um, that's a dis- that's a disservice for the massage therapists um, and for clients too, for people that we can help because people can't find them easily. So, getting back to you know advanced credentialing and licensing i mean it's one way to help um put a name towards maybe a medically oriented massage versus a relaxation and or spa oriented massage and maybe you know i'm not sure how it would work i would i'd like to point out that there's um so many other leaders in the massage therapy field who've weighed in on this. I really liked the conversation on Healwell's podcast. So Healwell is a, an organization that is, uh, they had a podcast called Massage Therapists Without Borders. Mm-hmm. And in one of the episodes, they had Canadian and massage therapists as their the hosts. And they were talking about the Canadian system where they basically have a pretty unregulated massage therapists and then they have rmts which most uh people kind of equate to lmts here licensed massage therapists here but they're registered massage therapists in canada go through sometimes up to three years of schooling it's certainly more than i think the you know the highest uh you know licensure requirement in the states so i don't know if adding a higher licensure solves a problem for the U.S. I think it's multifold and I think it involves engagement from many types of people, especially therapists. Therapists have to want to elevate their field. Uh, otherwise, it's just not going to happen. Absolutely. I mean, I've been pushing that message for a year now and part <laughs> of USOLMT is that we have to engage. If we want anything to change, if we want anything to get better, we have to do it. Exactly. If it's to be, it's up to me. And um, feeling responsibility for your own profession or the change that you want to make is empowering, ultimately. Absolutely. So I want to talk about Heal Match. Now, I was really excited when I learned about Heal Match and what you were doing. Um, And I know for me, like it was, I had fibromyalgia. I was diagnosed with it probably like 15 years ago. Um, and I started to look for massage therapy to feel better. And I think I had my first massage appointment at massage MV in this little town in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And it really did like, it helped kind of like right after, but I still really didn't feel better. 
Um, and I kept going to different massage places, different providers to try to get help. And I really couldn't find, <clears throat> couldn't find what I needed. And so I was just basically in chronic pain until I went to massage school. And then mm. I figured out what it was that I needed. And I mean, that was 10 years later that I dealt with that. But after getting regular massage um, and figuring out what type of massage treatment I needed by learning about what was available to me, um, I practically cured of fibromyalgia. I have like zero pain now. So being wow. a specialist is so important. And I would like you to just tell everybody about Heal Match because that's what it's all about, right? Yeah, absolutely. So saving, like think about how much time you invested in, in, in finding a solution for yourself. And what if that solution could have been shortened through uh, a skilled kind of concierge matching service, maybe even AI one day. Well, you know, I truly believe that healthcare is better when you're connected to the right practitioner. So, and that goes for massage therapy, goes for all types of medicine. And Heal Match, the goal is to improve lives by matching therapist skills with clients' needs through a website. And that website's heal-match.com. And it helps the therapist connect not just with more clients, but clients that are seeking what the therapist is authentically passionate about and or has a really high level of skill and training in. You know, our fundamental beliefs are that massage or healthcare practitioners. And I also want to point out that I believe truly that there's no one best type of massage therapy. So it may, doesn't have to be that, you know, there's a, um, uh, that medical massage or medically oriented massage or a specific type or even Ayurveda, whatever, like that it, that that's the, the best system. I think what mm-hmm. connects with the person in need at the right time in their life is what's going to work for them. Uh, and there are a lot of places where people can find great massage therapists for relaxation and not a lot of places where people can find someone who has like training in fibromyalgia, like easily when I, when I say that they can't find them, they can't, they don't have a go-to database for that. Right. So that's what I envision Heal Match as. It's a matching site. And we really focus on, for the clients, them starting with them. <laughs> that's because that's what they know best. Their goals, their health conditions, their needs, and especially their health conditions. Because if, if a massage therapist can meet a person where they're at, um, it's going to be, I think, the fastest way to help that person move on. And it doesn't mean that that's where you stay. <laughs> I think a lot my journey with massage therapy, I don't know if it's been the case with you, but, you know, I, I started focusing on pain, but I understand uh, so much more about energy now <laughs> and how that affects it. And I definitely had that same experience. I was an energy worker for 10 years before mm-hmm. I even took massage therapy. 
And when I did massage therapy, I did a very science-based program because I already knew the metaphysics, mm. right? So then I went to spa and then I just kind of expanded my knowledge from there. Right, right. And the, the, the people that we want to connect with in a way that the people who haven't been using massage therapy so much um, are maybe ones who are going to their doctors, physical therapists, surgeons, and, and now those, those health practitioners are more and more recommending massage therapy. Like there's actually clinical guidelines for low back pain. That first line of treatment is alternative therapies, um, including massage therapy. So now more and more people in the medical fields are recommending massage therapists. Well, they don't have necessarily like a go-to specialist or referral network or someone that they know that they can rely on. I hear that from doctors all the time and certainly from, from uh, people in pain um, who have spent, you know, time reaching out through Facebook to their friends or just trying like six or seven massage therapists. Like what if we, we could ask a couple questions and get you to, you know, your match. So I think of it like um, match.com for massage therapists. Um, <laughs> I love it. And yeah, the goal is to create a relationship. Like the goal is to create a relationship with a health provider like you would with a good primary care doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that it's fabulous. This is like one of the best ideas that I've seen in the last five years that I've been doing practice. So I love this and I hope that it keeps expanding. So tell me a little bit more, like what are the, what types of specialists are on Heal Match right now? Well, we're new and we're open to all types of people. I, I, I want everyone to know that they are a specialist <laughs> in some way. Um, they have, they're all armed with their own, they'll come with their own set of experiences. And some people are more, um, have studied one path or focused on one type of issue than others. And then those people tend to know that they're a specialist, but I really think everyone uh, will eventually develop something special about them. So right now we're open to all types of massage therapists. Like we have over 300 modalities listed on the site, but that's not necessarily where we're trying to help, you know, the average client get in. We are trying to help massage therapists um, list the conditions um, and, you know, health conditions, health needs that they can work with people on or that they feel the most confident working with people on um, so that the client can come in and search that condition and then know that they're going to get someone that has experience with that. And at the moment, we actually have the most number of people, I think, in, in who have a lot of experience with prenatal, but we're super small right now and super local. Uh, I know all of the therapists individually right now, and we're only in, um, in Miami, South Florida. Um, and that's going to change. Uh, and I think that there's no limit to the type of specialist. The, the, the most important thing is that we, we grow and we get better at, at the matching component. Right. So when a therapist signs up, um, do they have, what's the process of them signing up and picking these specialties and then having people be able to search for those? 
Yeah, it's all in answering questions. So the we have some membership levels, but right now we're really just starting to we want people to try out the site. So it's free free trial membership, um, and our focus really isn't on on um, it's on getting people on and learn how have a help helping them learn how to use the site and set up their profile. So, but we give them a list of options like, hey, what are the specialties of like the modalities that you work with and what are the health conditions that you treat? So we have a list of those, but they're also open to suggestions. So you can write in your own <laughs> uh, if, if it's not on our list. And, and I want people to think about, you know, from the client's perspective, um, what they feel most comfortable with, because that's where they're going to meet the clients where they're at. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I did see that your site had some other pretty cool features. Do you want to talk about those? Like people are able to look it up, but then I saw there was also like a, a message board wall or a discussion wall. Yeah. I'd like to create the, the community in whatever way we can and education in whatever way we can. So primarily we are focusing on creating lasting relationships by helping therapists, you know, be able to have profiles that attract and retain clients right for them. And uh, from the client side, I think educating them, educating people on the benefits of massage and what a modality is, you know, what it does, what certain modalities are meant for or what, what happens during them is going to be an important part. So I really like this kind of, we have this thing called the wall, which is like a basically social media, you can actually post on our wall and then share it to social media. Um, and that's another place for education. Taylor, you know, to be your own person and to show off your yourself uh, and also have it be educational, you know. Um, and I think one thing that if you're a solo practitioner, one thing that people who are solo practitioners often lack is a sense of community. So as much as we can, it's, it's in our goals to kind of create a community like feel. And then the other aim is education for the clients to know like what these types of massage therapies are and also how massage therapy can help them. Is it good for this condition? Is it, uh, what is this thing called like Abayanga, you know, <laughs> that's listed yeah. on the site. So is that something that you can just go on and read about or are you going to put up like educational videos or how are you going to do that as far as public education goes? Oh gosh, I think uh, I have to, you know, keep keep up with you, Stephanie, because you're really, really great about producing content. You can then... do it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, we have a few blog articles uh, and I'd really like the therapist to be... Um, talking about themselves. So we do have, we're trying to plan interviews right now and um, just have therapists talk about our members first and anyone who wants to join, talk about what they do and why they do it and then what their type of therapy can help people with. So I like the idea of um, articles and also interviews. Yeah. You had talked about kind of, 
your plans to expand in the future. So how do you see that going? And when do you think you might start doing that? Yeah, currently our therapists are in South Florida and that's really because A, vetting and B, if you want to find match clients and therapists, they have to be in the same area for the most part. Um, However, I think we're having in the plans to kind of change things up and perhaps make it more of a directory style so that there's less pressure to get, um, you know, clients and therapists booking right away and more just like having a network of skilled professionals. So if it's more of a um, kind of like a free directory that we can open up to the rest of the country sooner. I mean, literally anyone could set up a free profile right now. Um, but, you know, us finding clients for you isn't necessarily going to happen if you're in Boston and we're in Miami primarily. So right. so we were aiming for kind of close and small. Um, and it is hard to, and I mean, I'm a, this is my first time doing a startup like this. So it's been challenging to get engagement. And I think the most, but I'm still getting calls all the time from people like, do you have a specialist for this type of therapy? Like I, my doctor told me that I should see lymphatic drainage specialist. And so I kind of keep adding that way. Um, but even for my own purposes, like I, I want to have a referral network. I know other doctors want to have a referral network. So I'd rather kind of have them spread out and eventually clients will come in your area and just have it be free for a while. So I have a question for you. Um, Mm -hmm. What's the best way for therapists to reach out to doctors to create referral networks? I think that's something that a lot of people don't do and that we really should talk about. Yeah, there is an article from... I want to say I read the first one I read was probably from Massage Magazine, and there's a few other on ones online. I haven't particularly written uh, about it. Um, doctors are hard to get a hold of. Yeah. <laughs> so setting expectations is one thing, and you know, standard recommendations kind of like writing a professional letter, and which would kind of say the same thing as as we help therapists flush out, which is, this is what I do, this is what I can help with. Did you know that massage therapy, you know, according to the American College of Physicians, which a physician would know because it's the second largest physician organization in the country, according to the American College of Physicians, low back pain is the first line treatment includes multimodality therapies, including massage therapy. So massage therapy is indicated for low back pain and that's one way of kind of getting their attention from an evidence-based perspective. Now, physically getting their attention, it depends on the office. And I, you know, sometimes letters are the best, sometimes going to the receptionist um, and talking to the receptionist or their, you know, their gatekeeper, basically. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's articles online that have some pointers for that. And I will say that, that, um, from my perspective, what I can help people do is learn about the evidence behind massage therapy that doctors, because I spent like, you know, six years with, um, in a 
medical school doing research. And I also taught med students physiology, like I kind of know where their brains are at, where their minds are at. And, and as a scientist skeptics, I kind of know where their minds are at and how to speak to them. And if you give them a little bit of evidence, uh, then it can go a long way. Yeah. Well, let's talk about research. So um, one of the reasons I brought you on this is to have a big, long conversation about massage research with you. (laughs) So um, for the massage therapy organization. So I wanted to find out how you got started, how you became a volunteer, and then what your experience was like working with the foundation. The Massage Therapy Foundation is a great organization. I'm so glad it exists because there's not a lot else out there like that. It's um, a nonprofit and it the goal is to further massage therapy research and make it easy for massage therapists to research. So they offer grants. They think they offer two, about $30,000 grants a year. And they also have uh, articles on their site to help train people um, on how to do a case study, for example, which is the easiest way to start in research. So let's say you've had really good results with with a, a client or, or you want to track progress in a client, like you do that, you can do that in a systemized way through a case study and document your evidence, you can get it published, like boom, you're a published author. It's not like boom, because it does take time and effort, but you know, it, it, it's possible for massage therapists and they really encourage it. Um, so I've had a good experience with them. I'm not uh, writing so much for them, but what I was doing as a volunteer writer on the writing committee was to basically translate primary research articles. So those are the experimental articles mm-hmm. and then for massage therapists who would be reading a magazine. I think they publish in Massage Today and we've also published in Massage Magazine and it basically just making it like not so jargony and easier to read and like the big takeaways. So that is incredibly fulfilling for me because it's, you know, using a skill set that I learned and I worked really hard at and then being a communicator to help make the impact of that larger and more palatable. And I think, you know, for the average massage therapist or even massage enthusiast. bit about some of the articles published. Yeah, uh, I have, like we were just talking about Massage Therapy Foundation with them. I think we mainly published in magazines. So they were kind of um, just translating research. And I think I have, I don't know, maybe like six of those. And then as a PhD student and prior to that, so in my scientific career, I have six or so primary research articles. And there are all in the field of neuroscience. So I think for my PhD, I think there's about four. So um, I didn't mention this explicitly, but I did my PhD at a spinal cord injury research center through the University of Miami. So they're about pain and motor dysfunction after spinal cord injury. And these are primary research articles, meaning they're, you know, you create a, you know, use the scientific method to develop a hypothesis, test it, um, do your analysis of it, and then present the results, and then get it peer-reviewed and kind of refine it and 
and then hopefully it gets published. So those are called the scholarly peer-reviewed articles. Okay. And then you had said um, you've done some presentations as well on massage and pain. Yeah, because I, I have so much experience in understanding chronic pain from my PhD, which was really about a lot of the PhD research was in people with neurological injury, but it applies to everyone. You know, the, the brain mechanisms of chronic pain, the psychological impact, psychological factors that affect pain. Um, and so it's always something that I, in my practice, try to educate on, try to educate massage therapists on, and so, and other, um, other health practitioners too. So I did a presentation to the American Congress of Rehabilitation Medicine, which is like rehab professionals from all different fields. You know, there's some physiotherapists, there's some chiropractors, there's a lot of practicing people, and then also scientists who write, you know, who are primarily doing research. We all come together and I, I presented on the evidence of benefits for massage therapy in certain types of pain. So we kind of did this big review uh, with two colleagues who are much more senior than I than I was. I was glad I could recruit them. Uh, Dr. Jolie Hahn, uh, 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 who's in Tampa. She works with the VA in Tampa. Um, and um, a Canadian colleague of mine, uh, Richard R Liber. And uh, yeah, I was basically showing other health practitioners what uh, the evidence for massage therapy is in pain. I think that's awesome. Do you have any advice for just your, your average massage therapist out there who might not be a PhD, but who has some advanced knowledge in massage therapy about how, how, like how could they get in front of other health practitioners how could they start giving more public presentations to educate the public and educate the allied healthcare providers that we can work with? Oh, I like that. That's a great question. And I think it's an important objective. I mean, people are willing to, people, first of all, love massage therapy. They're willing to pair up. Other health professionals are doing presentations all the time, like at local clinics and studios and things like that. So it's pretty accessible if you're willing to put a little work into, you know, writing a, a PowerPoint and actually going and being diligent about um, the reading that you're doing. And, and um, so, I mean, finding other practitioners that are open to it. Mm, I mean, you could start anywhere from like, Instagram, you know, local people to um, other yoga or allied health practitioners to hopefully, you know, expanding to other types of uh, practitioners. So, for example, there's a lot of independent physical therapists who have a lot more time. You can just walk into their office and so many of them love the combination of massage therapy and what they do with their exercise and physical therapy. Chiropractors love massage therapists. So these are great people to reach out to. And then putting the presentation together, I think is the most important thing is to, to do your diligence on um, planning and finding good sources, which we can talk about a little bit um, and finding good quality evidence. And um, I think um, 
depending on the other type of health practitioner, uh, they may have had more like re- experience in research. Like doctors have to do a, a lot of research work prior to getting their MD degree and some other health practitioners do too. So, um, you know, that, that may be like a good bond. So I think pairing up with other people is a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. I would love to see more massage therapists do that and, you know, take on that. When I first became a massage therapist, there was a lot of talk about in school about, you know, educate the public, do events, do talks and things like that. Um, you know, and I've done a lot of public speaking in my life, um, in my last career and this one. Um, and I just feel like that's something that we really need to encourage massage therapists to do a lot more of. (laughs) Yeah. We love close communication and we don't always love being the, a public speaker as our job is mostly silent. (laughs) So maybe it attracts, you know, but you can do it. And, and, uh, I mean, everyone has their own fears to get over. If one of your fears is I don't feel comfortable with this material, then that's a matter of taking some training courses, which are free through ABMP, AMTA, the Massage Therapy Foundations uh, org's website. There's like intros to research for massage therapists and things to look out for. Um, and so those are good places to start if, if that's like the, 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 maybe an area you need to feel more confident in public speaking in general, like (laughs) that, I don't know if I'm the best person to, um, give advice on, but any, I find that the more comfortable I am in the subject, then the more I'm like, I want to talk about this. I'm such a nerd. Like (laughs) I want everyone to know, or I think it's so cool. I want everyone to know. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know. I think for public speaking for me, like I used to be very afraid to be in front of people. And so I just, it was one of those like feel the fear and do it anyway situation. Yes. Oh, yes. Like you just got to do it. And then the more that you do it, the less, the less fearful you become. Right. So I would say that's my advice. If you're worried about it, just feel it and get up there and do it anyway do it more than once, keep doing it. Um, You know, the more people that you talk to and the more you get in front of an audience, the easier that it is. And there's a, there's a pretty good high from holding attention from people's attention and then also like feeling like an expert. (laughs) So, you know, it it can feel rewarding too. Um, And also, you know, it's, you're right on with, with practice because it's just going to feel easier and easier the more you do it. And, um, like everything we do, like I was afraid to do, I would get anxious before every massage appointment for a while at the beginning of my career. And now I, I don't anymore. So every, yeah, everything gets happens to me too. Why? I have no idea, but <laughs> vulnerability, you know, vulnerability is a big part. So if we can identify where we are feeling vulnerable, then that helps us know where to, you know, where to add support. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, let's get back to research a little bit. So on this topic of research, why do you think massage therapists should even care about research? I mean, I feel like a lot of, a lot of them don't and I, or maybe they do, they just don't, they're not really into research. They're more into the hands-on part of 
what they do and less into the academic reasoning behind why they do it. Um, and, you know, I definitely think that it's a really important area. Um, and I know you have mentioned in Canada, right? They have more training than we do. And I was looking at one of the Canadian programs that I realized in their two-year training, they have two to three research courses um, mm. that massage therapists do. So why should they even care? <laughs> it's a great question. And I'm, I'm going to start off by just acknowledging that we do have a few camps of people. And I think one of the ways that one of the things that attracts massage therapists is the value on feeling the value on anecdotal, like the value of being in touch with yourself and not, and that is what guides us. So it's a completely legitimate thing to really put that as a priority. Like, I don't really care what the evidence says, this is what's working for me is what's working for my clients. So it is a really valuable skill to have. And we can keep that while also learning about the, about research, which is its own process of just distilling. So ultimately, one of the most important reasons massage therapists should care and educate about research in massage therapy is that we're a bridge profession now. We are a bridge between complementary health or what used to be called alternative health and Western medicine. People now know massage therapy. They now trust massage therapy. There's not as much resistance from doctors about us being like woo-woo and baseless. And there's way more integration of massage into hospitals and more doctors recommending. And by the way, like there's a, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says there's going to be a 22% increase in massage therapy jobs. And uh, uh, the, the industry is going to grow. 22% in the next decade, primarily because healthcare practitioners are going to be recommending massage therapy more. And hopefully, and you know, or maybe not hopefully, but like hopefully there's more ways that people can financially access that too. That's an aside. So we owe that, like these changes that we've seen over the last few decades to research, really. We've had to convince skeptics in medicine with evidence. And uh, if we want to continue to improve our status, improve our pay, improve um, the perception of massage therapy, I mean, it can extend into some of the, the differentiation between us and even like the sex worker field, perhaps. Who knows where this can go, but if we really want to differentiate and elevate the field, continue, continue to do so, research has to be a part of it because that's how we've gotten where we have now as being like uh, an accepted form of medicine and now a recommended form of medicine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, evidence has been growing over the last several decades in specifically certain areas. And like I mentioned, like uh, there are national guidelines from the, let's see, the American College of Physicians, the Veterans Administration, the, um, uh, I forget what it's called. It's basically like the the biggest federal organizations is like really advocate for massage therapy. So first of all, massage therapists should know about this and know that that research was a, was brought us there. Um, I also think that it's more than just about continuing to be a part of 
uh, healthcare and helping people. Because, you know, the more we're integrated into this field, the more people accept us, the more customers we're going to have, the more impact we're going to have in the world, the better we're going to be able to, you know, handle the effects of the opioid crisis and make an impact in that. By the way, the uh, American Massage Therapy Association they did an economic analysis that if massage therapy was used to treat certain types of pain instead of opioids, we could save over 100,000 lives per year uh, if we use massage therapy instead of opioids to treat certain types of pain. So that's a huge impact. Like Think about the impact we can make by doing things we love and that we know are good for people. I think it's yeah, a good place huge. to start. It's like yeah. for people who want to get into a field to help someone – um, if you could save that many lives just by doing what you do, um, yeah, do that. Right. Yeah. And then this skill of caring about learning how to, and caring about dissecting something to, or distilling something to kind of its core components. It's something that massage therapists actually probably care about in other ways. So like it's, I think it's important to know like how we're making a change in someone on a biomechanical level, on a psychological level, on a sociological level, meaning like how us as a therapist are because we're relating to someone, how we're actually changing them. Um, and then on an energetic level. So here's an analogy that I, that I think maybe people can understand. Um, like if you're going to make an aromatherapy blend, let's say like, why don't you want to know what ingredient each ingredient does on its own? You have like four ingredients, right? Why don't mm -hmm. you want to know what each ingredient does on its own? And when you make a blend that can help you tell your tailor, your blend, let's say like you want to add more lavender for bedtime or for focus in the morning, you want to add more top notes. Like we care about these kind of things already. And um, by, kind of understanding the different parts of the of massage like certain aspects of fascia or certain aspects of the psychological dynamic between the the, the therapist or how people process pain all of those things can help you tailor your treatment to something that's going to work better for your clients and i don't know also i, I think there's value in just knowing there's value in knowing the truth because you never know where it's going to lead. It's mm -hmm. um, a, just kind of wrap that up, maybe back up and conclude. Like I think to say that everything is connected is absolutely true. We say that all the time. And I say that all the time, especially because I, I love fascia and it's true, but to leave it at that is kind of a cop out. If we want to keep improving our health, we need to experiment and we need to kind of distill and look at each component on its own. And then we can bring them back together and see what works best in, in concert. Um, because it's not always going to be the same for everyone. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? It makes perfect sense to me. Um, yeah. When I think about health, I kind of think like, you know, all your life aspects, right. It's like a holistic a holistic viewpoint is what I have where I'm looking at every life aspect and how this affects, right? It's that whole mind, body, spirit thing, mm -hmm. right? There are more aspects to that, um, you know, that massage therapist can learn about that can help integrate all of that into a treatment to make it so much better 
you know, than just focusing yes. on one thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's great. So as far as articles go, um, you had mentioned that just because something's published, it doesn't really mean that it's always true. Um, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about that because we had just talked about the primary research articles, right? And then how do we know when research is actually true? Yeah, there's a few indicators of good research, high quality research versus low quality research. And and these are not just coming from me. Like actually there's a thing called levels of evidence and there is the highest levels of evidence are when you take a bunch of primary research articles and you look at them on a, on a, on a summary kind of, it's called, there's something called the meta-analysis. And you say like, okay, when we do, when we combine all of these results on the same topic, what comes out? Um, so that gives an indication of like what, what's actually working um, on a, on the most, you know, highest levels. So, and then lowest levels of research are those case studies. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with them because it's a great, easy bit place to start. Uh, but it's just when we're looking at one thing that's happening in one person and there's no control, like there's nothing that we're measuring it against, like what would happen if we didn't do that treatment? So these things called levels of evidence, you can learn more about them through a research course. So the best places to um, start to understand good research from bad research is taking even just like a one hour course. I think ABMP has a one hour course on massage therapy research. Um, these, you know, so looking at the type of research, was it controlled or was it just looking at what happened before and after a treatment? Was there a group where there was no treatment and then they looked at the changes in between like the people that had treatment and the people that didn't, you know, at a later time point. Um, other things are, was that, where was that published? And that is a very hard one. It's a very hard one to know even for, for more advanced um, people who've been in research because not every journal is created equal, but you can get some sense of like, if the, if it was a journal that's peer reviewed, which the main journal for, Massage therapy research is IJTMB, the International Journal of Therapeutic Massage and Bodywork. It's definitely not the only one, but it is the one that I would say has the most massage therapy articles or is the most uh, pertinent to massage therapy. That is peer-reviewed. Um, and then there's a lot of massage research now in our journals that are very hard to get into that are more like sports medicine journals, but they study massage therapy and those can even be, you know, there's more competition. So it actually can kind of weed out uh, lower quality or lower level evidence. So look for peer reviewed journals and then and take a research course, I would say, um, because it's going to kind of give you, you don't have to know everything about like, you don't have to know much about statistics, but um taking even just an intro course on massage on, on research can help you get a sense of like, Oh yeah. What would have happened if I just, if the therapist was just in the room or the therapist just laid hands or the therapist didn't have an intention 
What did the protocol look like? Did they even publish their protocols? Did they do the same protocol for the same person? Like it brings up questions that we don't think about answering. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So on the USO LMT website, I do have a blog post that I wanted to mention. Um, it's called, I think it's just credible massage therapy research resources. Um, and you know, some people from our national USO LMT group helped put that together. Um, so that is on the blog on the homepage. And I believe in my COVID statement that, which is also on the blog, there are a couple of links to some science literacy um, and research courses that are free that massage therapists can take. So if anybody out there is listening and you take a look at the USOLMT homepage, scroll down near the bottom, there's the blog, just swipe through the articles and you'll find the one on massage research and the one on COVID-19 that has the science literacy and research classes. So yes, beautiful. Thank you for doing that. A little bit of effort there goes such a long way. Thank you for everyone who contributed to that. Absolutely. Um, And then, so let's see. Okay. And I want to talk about your own practice a little bit before I let you go. Um, So you were saying um, own practice, you take a biopsychosocial approach. Now I want you to tell me like, what does that mean? Um, And then like, how, how is that unique to other forms of body work? It's a mindset and it will, I will say it's not something I came up with. Uh, It's been around in medicine for a little while and it's gaining traction as a mindset. So uh, one of our, the earlier mindsets is evidence-based and biopsychosocial takes evidence-based. And then we think about, yes, okay, what's the evidence for the mechanical side, the biomechanical side, biological side, and what's the impact of the psychosocial side? So like I mentioned before, that psychosocial part is about how we process sensations and how we process our context and our environment. And then the relationship, so I guess more of the social part is the relationship we have with the therapist, because we have this this thing called the placebo effect, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. still, it's still called the placebo effect, but there's lots of other terms for it. One of the best terms that I use is called the therapeutic alliance. It's when we have an impact just by being a good caring practitioner. And so the methodology in kind of using that in your practice and having that mindset that we're, yeah, we're affecting the tissue. We're, we're also affecting the person. And so it definitely, it's a, it depends a lot on, getting information from people about their values, what they think is going on with them, how they're interpreting it. So there's this type of people, you know, that walk into your office and they're like, I think I have like a slip disc or, and then there's other people. So that's a very biomechanical way of seeing it. And there's other people that are talking about how they had emotional trauma that they think they're storing. These are very different ways of approaching a person. And I would probably explore both of those differently and the one of the tenants that um, we also think about in this social psychosocial interaction and and the therapeutic alliance is shared decision making so yeah I'm the expert at some things Um, I've had a lot of experience 
but I don't, there's a, there's a piece that I'm always going to be missing, which is you, like what you think, what your values are, what your goals are, what your scent, like what sensations feel like in your body. And the only way I can get them is by like asking you (laughs) and having you share some information with me. And it's, you know, it's kind of becoming more of a, a style of practice in all types of medicine to use shared decision-making. It's something mm-hmm. that massage therapists are actually really good at because especially like from the guest service side of things, we're really there for the client to serve the client. So if they say like, I want a really hard massage, then you give them a lot of times you give them a hard massage. And, and in some fields um, or some parts of the industry, we don't really question that. Whereas there's other private practice uh, who will push back on that and be like, no, this is what you need. You need this type of pressure and this way. And, and, and there's some balance, I think, in, in that. So the biopsychosocial approach just is a mindset of like, we have physical factors and it's great to know about like how, how uh, you know, how pain works both on the tissue end, how inflammation works and all those biological factors. It's also good to know about what kind of person you're dealing with and what their goals are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that that's really true. I mean, I know even in my own practice, I really try to communicate a lot uh, with what's going on with the, the client and even in the beginning you know, of the session there's a reason why we ask them what their goals are. Yeah. And I always try to work with the client, you know, to say, okay, he, this person wants really deep pressure, but this person has fibromyalgia. So maybe we need to sort of manage that. And what does really deep pressure mean? Yeah. Right? I don't know. It's what it means to them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And we have to ask questions to find out. So mm-hmm. I agree with that completely. So let's talk yeah. about continuing education. Um, you recently started continuing education or doing continuing courses. And I think you said you taught your first one recently. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So what are you teaching about it? Uh, right now I'm teaching myofascial release with the CE Institute. So the CE Institute is based in South Florida, but uh Thanks to COVID, we actually started doing webinars and I, I don't own this company. It's owned by Selena Belisle and uh, she's got 30 years of experience in the industry and hosts a variety of classes with like really, really experienced teachers. And I started to take over the myofascial classes and um, that, cause that is really my, that's my zone. <laughs> I have experience with uh, structural integration style, but I'm not, not a one, you know, one style only type of person, especially when it comes to fascia, because there's different levels of fascia. Mm-hmm. So I teach myofascial release right now on those webinars. And I did my first one in May, no, April. Uh, next one's going to be in June and July. And so the gift of that is that the, they're open to anyone who can access a computer and they're really, really affordable. So those those can be found at CE institute.com and all of their courses are great they're i love it the motto of the school is quality affordable education they really deliver on that 
That sounds fantastic. Yeah, I'm really happy to be able to share, like, you know, I like educating. (laughs) And I'm happy to be able to share uh, both my my neuroscience background and my my physical hands-on practice in one. Yeah, I think anybody would be lucky to learn from you. Um, it's a pretty amazing background that you have there for a massage therapist. So, <laughs> all right, you. well, I'm going to wrap this up, but I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Um, do you want to give anyone um, any other information or anything before we go? Oh, really quickly, I wanted to point out like one other thing about research is that we now for the first time could get a paid to go do a year or two years as a researcher in an institution. And there's a grant. I don't know if you have, do you do links in your podcast or Um, to your site? Yeah. If you just um, tell us what it is, or maybe it's something that I can just post after. Yeah. So the, the, there's just a, you can look up the funding announcement. Um, It's a really cool opportunity that a, people might not know about and I'm trying to look up the number but it's uh it's also in my article that was in Massage Magazine in June 2020 um I talk about these these grants and I'm there's a link to the one for massage therapists um so I don't think I have the name of the funding announcement it's just a bunch of numbers and letters together um but uh so that's one thing oh it's PA19-031 like if you just Google funding PA 19-031, you'll find that, you know, grant opportunity. So go like research for a year or two years. It's great. But, um, and then also, I mean, I'll just reiterate like the, my private practice is the educated body and I go by Dr. Bodywork, DR Bodywork on Instagram and other social medias. And the site that I'm helping, you know, build specialists and try to bring, elevate the, the field of massage therapy, that's Heal Match. And the site there is heal-match.com. All right. Perfect. Um, were there any other grant opportunities besides that one that we wanted to talk about? I think I kind of missed that in our conversation. The other two I mentioned really quickly, they're through the Massage Therapy Foundation, and they're they're about $30,000 grants. So you can go to massagetherapyfoundation.org and, um, you know, navigate somewhere along research or grant opportunities. And those are really good. And they, they, they people can help you um, write a grant proposal for them, or you can take a, a little mini class on how to write a grant proposal for them. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Jacqueline. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today. It's been a pleasure. Keep on rocking, Stephanie. You're such a rock star. Thank you for all of your energy and everything you're doing with the field and, uh, you know, keep being the change. All right. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Bye-bye. All right. Bye. That was Dr. Jacqueline Tibbet, known as Dr. Bodywork in Miami, Florida. I hope you enjoyed hearing her story today. 
In this segment, I'm going to discuss the current research project that I am involved in and tell you about another excellent project that the American Medical Association has done with physicians and give you my thoughts on how we might adopt this project for massage therapists. So in my quest to get USO LMT started, I wanted to connect with a franchise owner to discuss our new association and why we started it. I wanted to find out what an owner of a franchise would think about what I was doing, and I was very lucky to connect with Sandy Fritz, who has been in the field of massage therapy for about 40 years and opened a Massage Green Spa franchise location in Michigan. Now, I've been following Sandy for several years over the course of my career, and while I didn't always agree with everything she said or posted online in all that time, I have a lot of respect for her and the experience level that she has. Over the course of the pandemic, Sandy wrote several articles that were published in Massage Magazine on the topic of unity in our profession. Unity is one of the principles I founded USO LMT on, and so I reached out to connect with her, hoping that she would meet with me, and she said yes. Sandy is an absolutely wonderful lady. She is so knowledgeable, and I love listening to her stories about the history of our profession. I was thrilled when she asked me if I wanted to work with her and be a part of the International Consortium of Manual Therapies, or ICMT. Now, ICMT is a science-based, interdisciplinary research symposium for practitioners and researchers. The conference is scheduled for May 6th through 8th, 2022 in Phoenix, Arizona, and it's going to be online. So anyone can watch it. This conference focuses on key topics that are fundamental to building a productive culture for collaboration to advance the science and practice of manual therapies. Teams of ICMT members will have worked for two years on these topics when the conference begins and will be presenting the unprecedented product of their collaborative work. So our manual therapy work group, it includes the professions of massage, chiropractic, osteopathy, physical therapy, and structural integration. Now, practitioner representatives of each group listen, we ask questions, we review the specific methods and terminology of each profession. And as each profession's methods are reviewed with the group, we compare our similarities and our differences and then integrate our data when it's appropriate. Now, this exercise really promotes interprofessional communication and understanding. In our last meeting, um, we reviewed chiropractic techniques, and I learned so much about what methods they use and why they use them and what they think is happening in the body when using certain techniques. I'm also learning that each profession may have a different term for a technique, but it could be very similar or exactly the same even though we call it something different. Now, once this data is collected and reviewed um, from our work groups, we'll be drafting white papers and then facilitating the development and inter interactions of small group interprofessional breakout sessions at this conference. So the breakout sessions are gonna be used to launch further development in the consortium to facilitate research collaboration with leading research and clinicians in manual therapies. Now our key topics are measuring physiological effects, um, physiological theories behind our procedures, like what do we think is actually happening 
in the body and then measuring the actual effects of what is happening. And I'm so excited about this research. ICMT has given massage therapy an equal seat at the same table as medical professionals. And I believe that it will be groundbreaking by encouraging understanding between manual therapy professions and, and allow us to work together in a more integrative way. And it will really advance massage therapy in the healthcare arena. So ICMT is hosting a webinar in the fall, which all massage therapists should tune into. And you can find out more about the consortium at www.icmtconference.org. I'll be right back and I'm gonna talk about the Human Diagnosis Project from the American Me Medical Association. In this last segment of the podcast, I wanted to tell you about something called the Human Diagnosis Project. I stumbled on this while I was doing research on the American Medical Association's offerings to its members who are physicians. When building USOLMT, I researched not only our massage association's offerings, but I was looking into other healthcare professions and their association models and what they offered for their members. So through my research on um, AMA, I found the Human Diagnosis Project. And this thing really intrigued me, and it made me think about how we as a profession could do something like this to assist other massage therapists. So the Human Diagnosis Project is a worldwide effort to create this online system that leverages joint knowledge and AI to map the best steps for any given patient. And their goal through this Human Diagnosis Project was to bring more affordable and accessible healthcare to underserved populations. So over 6,000 physicians from around the world in 70 different countries contributed their, their intelligence and their knowledge and their information to this project. The contributing physicians were high-level specialists in specific disciplines. So through the project, a physician who might be a resident or a general practitioner would put their patient's information into a system and then artificial intelligence would analyze the data, find patterns, um, make a prediction, store the feedback, and then after that, a actual physician who is a specialist would review the information that was put in and the claim of AI just to make sure it was correct. And then the inquiring doctor would receive a recommended treatment or a diagnosis based on AI and this review from a medical specialist. So this project um, is utilizing an e-consult system and they are putting it in 8,000 clinics that are safety net clinics um, that serve 3 million patients. And really it's contributing to a more inclusive, sustainable, open future of medicine for all of humankind. It saves people from the expense of having to be referred to a specialist to treat their condition. So how can this benefit us? Well, I think it can benefit us in a lot of ways. Our entry-level education is only about 500 hours across the United States. So students aren't really coming out of school with specialized skills. It takes many, many years and a lot of continuing education and money to build up the skills to really call yourself a true specialist in the field of massage therapy. So it's really helpful as a new therapist to have the internet to search out medications your clients might be taking, 
medical conditions that you're not sure of, and a reference to find out if those conditions are contraindicated for massage therapy. And one of the things that we miss out on our education here in the United States is pharmacology. So for example, the registered massage therapist program at in Canada that we were referring to earlier in my interview with Jacqueline, their two-year program uh, includes courses that are not available to us, like public health and vaccines and therapeutic exercise and pharmacology, as well as two courses in research at Royal Canadian College of Massage Therapy. So if we had a system to identify highly educated massage specialists in the, in the treatment of certain conditions, and we could work with those specialists to build a database of their specialized knowledge, which could then be accessible to your average massage practitioners and new grads, this would really be ideal. Have you seen how many massage massage treatment questions come up in our Facebook groups? I mean, the truth is, really, you have no idea who is answering your questions there or how much experience they have in any area. You might be getting completely bogus answers from very inexperienced therapists who might just have a theory or just think that they know best because something worked for them once, right? So Facebook really is not the place to ask your treatment questions. But if we were to be able to group source the minds of specialists who are highly educated in their specific disciplines in massage therapy, you you really could have a trusted resource to go to anytime that you had a question. So having a professional system where specialists can actually be vetted and share their knowledge Um, that you have access to all the time, this is a novel idea and it's really one that's worth being explored more. And it could contribute to the advancement of our own profession by offering the new grad or the, or, you know, the therapist that's really excellent at hands-on, but kind of lacks in the academic department um, to find the answer that they need literally at their fingertips and develop the best course of action for any given client. I mean, how cool would that be? We could take something like what Jacqueline is doing and just build on that once we have lists of specialists across the United States and then put their knowledge into a database and turn this thing into an entire body of knowledge for massage therapists that they have complete access to to get all of their questions answered. This would be amazing, and it would advance our field so much to have a place to go for trusted, informed, evidence-based knowledge. So that would be really cool. So I wanted to just kind of put that out there. Thanks for, th- thanks for sticking with me. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the USOLMT podcast. Stay tuned for next time. Next time, we're going to be talking about entry-level massage education. please visit us at www.uso.lmt.com. Founding memberships are still available for a limited time at $10 a month. As a member, you will join in on our mission to unify, advocate, educate, and engage the massage therapist of the future and learn how to organize and act in our field to bring about positive change. At this time, we are looking for forward, out-of-the-box thinkers to take positions on the Founding Leadership Council. 
Job descriptions are available on our USO LMT Facebook business page, and you may apply online. If you are unable to commit to a monthly membership, we would love it if you would donate to USO LMTs to support our work. You can donate through our Take Action page on our website. You'll also find our COVID-19 survey there and be able to give your workplace a checkup on our Unity page. Plus, sign our petition to support our movement, Solidarity in Massage Therapy. Also, check out our events page where we publish upcoming events, we post calls to our massage community for participation, and links to our recorded past events. We encourage you to join our private national Facebook group, USO LMT, to find out more and join in on the conversations that we're having about changing our industry for the better. You can also email us at bethechange at usolmt.com for more information. We'd be happy to answer any questions that you might have. We'll talk to you again in two weeks. Be the change.